He likes skating on things, and uh, my name is Jerry Lance. My wife, I'd like her to stand again. My wife, Athelius. Not only my better half, but my better looking half. That's not saying much in your case. Stop that. Uh, what do you think you're doing? I'm going to lead singing. They ain't singing enough yet tonight. Stop that. I said I'm leading the singing. DJ, stop that. I'm leading the singing tonight. Uh, DJ, you're not leading the singing. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Read my lips. Yes, I am. You know, it doesn't make sense arguing with a dummy. Doesn't make sense talking to yourself either. For the last time, you're not leading the singing. Well, why not? Why can't I? Well, for one thing, you're just a dummy. Well, that didn't stop Brother Andrew. <laughs> hey, don't look at me. He had a hand in it. Uh, uh, DJ! <laughs> Brother Andrew's a very fine man. Now, you tell him you're sorry. Brother Andrew, you're sorry. Uh, DJ! <laughs> that, well, I'm here tonight. Well, Aunt Lisa and I are here to try to raise support. Now... Are, are you trying to ruin it for us? No, I'm trying to raise it for myself. What do you mean you're trying to raise it for yourself? Oh, I need support too. Well, why on earth would you need to raise support? Well, God called me to be a missionary. Oh, come on now, be serious. I am serious, but but you a missionary? You're a missionary, aren't you? Yeah. What's the difference? And, and, and now wait a minute here. Okay, on the pretext that God's called you to be a missionary. Where's he called you to be a missionary to? The jungles of Brazil. Oh, the jungles of Brazil. I'm sure you'll meet a lot of your relatives there. And a lot of yours, too. Just what do you mean by that? Well, at least when I walk, I don't bruise my knuckles. Are you trying to make a monkey out of me? No. Charles Darnold, public schools, already did that. (laughs) DJ, I'm a little shocked at you tonight. I'm taken back. In fact, tell you the truth, I can't believe my ears. Tell you the truth, I can't believe those ears ears either. <laughs> now, okay, DJ. If you're going to go to the jungles of Brazil, I need to warn you about something. Well, yeah, what's that? Well, there's Indians there. Well, duh, I knew that. Well, did you know that some of them are cannibals? Huh? Cannibals. Is that like a can of peas? No, no. An Indian is an, oh, a cannibal is an Indian that eats people. Eats people? Uh-huh. Well, then you better not go. Grandma said she stole the gene. You'd give her indigestion. A, a DJ? Look, what are you going to do if you run to a tribe full of cannibals? Uh, teach them to be vegetarians. I hear it's a lot like a Presbyterian. No, no, it's not. Now, look, do you even know the least little thing about what it takes to be a missionary? Not really. Oh, see there, I told you. Well, I can always ask my uncle. Uh, what do you mean, ask your uncle? No, he's a missionary pilot once. Your uncle was a missionary pilot once? Yep. What do you mean once? You mean he isn't anymore? No. And why not? Well, you see, his plane crashed. Oh, that's too bad. Oh, no, that's good. Well, wait a minute. Why is his plane crashing good? Well, he jumped out. Oh, that is good. 
No, that's bad. Bad? Yeah, he jumped out without a parachute. Ooh, that is bad. Oh, no, that's good. Wait a minute. What's good about jumping out of a plane without a parachute? Well, there's a haystack underneath him. Well, I guess that would be good. No, it's bad. Bad? Yeah, there's a pitchfork in a haystack. Ooh, that would be bad. Oh, no, that's good. And what's good about a pitchfork in a haystack? Well, he missed the pitchfork. Well, that is good. No, it's bad. Bad? He missed a haystack also. <laughs> DJ, that's the last straw. You talk about my jokes? I need to explain one thing about DJ. DJ is only a tool, uh, like flannelograph or puppets or overhead projector, whatever it takes to present a story, present an idea. He is not a substitute for preaching. The only substitute for preaching is, of course, more preaching. Because it's through the preaching of the Word of God that people are saved, that they realize their need of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, we all know people who won't dart the door of a church. They feel uneasy about even going into a church for a wedding or a funeral. they just rather have it be in some other setting. But DJ will draw a crowd, and he can tell a Bible story to even these type of people who don't like the church setting... And they'll stand around and listen because they do not feel threatened. Now, he is not the main aspect of our ministry, it's that of church planning. He is just a, a side hobby. But for a hobby, I, I thank God for the fact that over th- 650 kids have been saved over the past 30 years using this aspect. So as long as God keeps blessing, we'll keep using it uh, in aspect of the ministry. Now... As we go to, into our slides, I need to ask a, a quick question. I do kind of a little bit of a survey in this. I need to know, how many of y'all like to go fishing? Raise your hand. How many like to eat the fish that you catch? How many would rather give the fish to someone else to eat? How many would you rather just have someone else clean the fish that you catch so you can eat it? Yeah, that's usually the winner. If we have the first slide, please. I need to know... But have you been fishing lately? You know, when we think about going fishing, we think about going out to the lake, drowning a couple of worms or whatever have you, whatever bait you might use. We, we think about maybe going to the beach and sticking our rod reel in the, in the sand and put some rocks around so it'll hold up so we can know when a fish are taking a line or uh, even the old-fashioned way of just casting out our net. But whatever method you employ of catching fish, it's all about the same thing. Like this guy's indicating here, catching a fish. Now, we have our various methods of doing it. We have our fancy rods and reels. But, you know, I get a little upset when I think about there are some people out there who think it's great to spend $200 on a graphite rod, but get a little upset if a church asks for a dollar in the offering. They, they, they just have things out of perspective. But you've got your fancy rods and reels. You have your, your fancy tackle box with all the latest doodads and get-ups, whatever it takes to, to catch fish. And even have your artificial bait. But you know, the Bible has a totally different perspective on fishing. And we think, think of the scriptures in Matthew 4, 17 through 20. It says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. 
Now, Luke gives a different perspective because he was writing from the position of a professional individual, uh, a physician. And we notice how he puts it. Now, when he had left speaking, now Jesus had just finished teaching the people on the shore and he got on a boat. He wanted to get, get away from the people for a little bit of rest. And he said, uh, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Now let's pause for a minute here and just uh, do a little bit of a detour. But, you know, there are times when we go fishing, the fish are cooperating, they're biting. As soon as your, your hook hits the water, you, you got something. Don't you love it when it's like that? But then there's other times we go fishing, you throw out the line, and it seems like we sit, we wait, and we wait. Hour after hour, and the only thing we catch is a good old-fashioned sunburn. Any, anybody have that experience? You know, all you caught that day was a sunburn. But look at, look at this. Simon and Andrew, they were professional fishermen. They knew how to get the job done. They knew how to read the signs in the water to find where the fish are. But we also notice in this passage that they were totally unsuccessful. They drew a blank. But look at the faith that Peter had in just the words of Jesus. Because it says, Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. Now we know from verses 7 through 10, the first part of verse 10, that they called to their partners, uh, and they came out with their boat, and they loaded up both boats, both to the point of swamping, nearly swamping the boats. And Peter in his life had never seen a catch such as this. He was totally... uh, what would be the word? Befuddled? Bewildered? He was taken back. So he declared to the Lord, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a wicked man. He, he was afraid of contaminating the Lord. But look what Jesus said to him. It wasn't, that wasn't it. And Jesus said to Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. And that's what missionaries do. They forsake all to follow Jesus Christ. No matter where he might leave, we leave family and friends behind. Our our culture, to go to a new land, a new language, new culture, to win souls for Jesus Christ. So what have Atlas and I been doing in the last four years in Sao Paulo? Well, we've been fishing, but we've been fishing for men. Now, a big difference between fishing for fish, fishing for men, is we don't use any artificial bait. We use the real thing. We have our Bibles, New Testaments, John Roman pamphlets, tracts, songbooks, whatever it takes to place the Word of God in the hands of people so they can realize their need for Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. We have a different type of fishing vest. We don't have these big launches. We don't have canoes, rowboats, or even a dock to stand on. Our fishing vests are the churches which we plant, which we work out of. Uh, we have our, our first work, which was the uh, Primera Iglesia Baptista, or First Baptist Church in Georgia, Virginia. And the, our current work, the Congregación Baptista Calvario in Varsin Grange, or the Calvary Baptist Congregation. These are our fishing vessels, even as Centennial Baptist Church is your fishing vessel to reach people here in Caldwell and the regions beyond. And how do we do it? How do we fish? By preaching. I already mentioned that through preaching, men, women, and boys and girls are saved. But Sao Paulo is a city of 20 to 22 million people, and I can't reach them all by myself, so I'm involved in teaching at a Bible seminary. I was asked to join a staff in 2006, and they asked me if I'd be willing to teach. I said, sure. 
I said, what class? He said, book of Revelation. I said, you better let me pray about that. You think it's hard in English, you should try it in Portuguese. My students, they have a double problem to encounter. First, the material is difficult. We all know the book of Revelation is difficult. But we get a blessing just by reading it. It's the only book of the Bible that has a blessing for reading without needing to understand. God's promised twice in the book a blessing for just reading. So there's the blessing of reading. But their main problem is getting past my American accent in Portuguese. Once they start to understand the way I speak Portuguese, they can start to understand the material. We're also involved in helping Brazilians start churches. They can do a much better job than I can. This is Pastor Tome, his wife, Lucia. When I first went to Brazil in 86, I met them in 1987. He was pastoring a church in the interior of Sao Paulo, about five and a half, six hours from where we are. And uh, it was a church started by another missionary. But he felt he wasn't doing enough. So he resigned that church and he joined a mission that we missionaries had formed. It's called AMI, or Associação Missionário Independente, or Independent Missionary Association. It's more of a clearinghouse to help churches channel funds to missionaries and to preachers who want to start churches. He went to the city of Salvador in the state of Bahia. It's on the east coast. Now, Salvador in Portuguese means savior in English. But it's somewhat of a misnomer because the city of Salvador is the headquarters for spiritism and demon worship in all of Brazil. The African demonic worship, uh, which is in Brazil, has its headquarters there in Salvador. Much the same uh, as the demonic worship, like voodoo and everything else, that we find in Haiti and, and in the Caribbean. But he went there, and in 23 years he started three churches. They all have Brazilian pastors. Now he's coming back to Sao Paulo to help us start more works. He'll still be 30 miles from us, but he'll uh, be starting works there also. We also have a restful ministry. One of our ladies one day came up to me and said, Pastor, we need to go visit Fulano at the rest home. Now, Fulano is the Brazilian way of saying so-and-so. I said, what rest home? She said, on such such street. I said, there's not a rest home on that street. I found out there was. It's in a house. Not a typical rest home as we would picture it. So we went and visited. We held a service. We had two uh, senior men accept Christ that day. The director liked us so much, she asked, if, could you come back every month? So the first Sunday of every month at 5 in the evening, when we normally have our training, we go there and hold a service. We've been doing that for the past three years now, and it's a, a joy to us to be able to go. This is Jarvis and Junior. They are two of my men. Uh, we have them. Uh, I had them this particular Sunday to take care of the service because I knew I'd be coming home on furlough, and they need to be ready to get to take on the responsibility of continuing on with this ministry, and it's still going on today. Now, I must admit that this is not my ministry in Brazil. I have no ministry. I'm just a helper in the Holy Spirit doing His ministry. Because if, if God does not give the increase through the Holy Spirit, there is no church growth. It's God that gives the increase. So it's not my ministry. It's the Holy Spirit's ministry but I get the privilege of being his assistant, his helper, a vessel in his hands to see God's work done. And my wife is also a vessel in the Holy Spirit's hands. So we get to be a team that God gets, is using 
to see churches plant in Brazil. Now, my wife works with our ladies the other Sunday nights. Uh, she helps our ladies learn how to be better wives to the husbands, how to be a silent witness to lost husbands, how to create a Christian atmosphere in the home for the kids, how to, how to write and do devotions for other ladies, Bible memory, and what have you. And she has a very successful ministry with our ladies, but that's not her only aspect in working in the church. She is a, a very excellent Sunday school teacher working with our adolescent kids while I'm teaching the adults. And there's also a ladies' conference speaker. Now, if you notice this lady here, this is the mother of one of your missions you support. This is Mary Horton, the mother of John Horton up in Bay Lane. Uh, in September of 2012, we were asked to come up, and she was asked if she'd be a speaker at the second International Ladies Conference of the North. Now, ladies from all over northeastern Brazil came to this conference for this one week. Some ladies rode on a bus 36 hours nonstop to get there. There was over 250 ladies that were there and participating. It was a blessing for them. It was a blessing for my wife to participate. She evidently did a good job because the ladies been asking, when is Atlas going to come back and be at the conference again. So she's already been invited to come back. So as soon as we get back, next conference that's, that comes up, we'll be back in Bay Lane. We also have our children's ministry on Wednesday nights. Whether you use Awanas, Patch of Pirate, King Kids, it doesn't matter which program you use so long as you get the Word of God at the level that these kids can understand because they need to understand the Word of God so they can be saved too. We also have a program called Messengeros to Hay, or Miss, uh, which is King's Messengers. It's a program for young ladies 9 to 15. My wife participated in it when she was a young lady. Uh, these are three of our five young ladies, uh, Hayane, Taina, um, Janaina. Missing is Andresa and Mariana. They weren't there that day for this picture. And it's, it's a course, just like in Awana, you have a course that you do through the year. We call it an etapa. It's Bible memory, different uh, projects, Christian service. And our, our, their mothers have already commented to us how much of a change they see in their daughters' lives, a greater dedication to the Lord and dedication to the Scriptures. Now, if they complete the course, we have a graduation exercise for them. But since some of our ladies are in broken homes, not all of them get to finish the course year. And this particular year, Janaina finished the course and we had a graduation for her last December before we came home. She's a very fine young lady, 13, maybe 14 years old now, loves the Lord, loves serving Him. Of course, DJ. Uh, we use him in vacation Bible schools, uh, junior camps, and as such. And um, since we speak Portuguese in Brazil, of necessity, he is bilingual. Unfortunately, in his case, it only means he's illiterate in two languages. Now, we have a four-lesson uh, discipleship evangelism course that's based on the book of John. Four lessons from, uh, on man, the Savior, salvation, and the new life. We have them out on our table in Portuguese. When we start this course, we give them a John Romans pamphlet because each one of these have questions out of the book of John. At the end of the question, in parentheses, is the chapter and verse where to look up the answer. 95% of the time on Lesson 3, the person gets saved. If they get saved, we give them a full-size Bible and go on to Lesson 4. If they do not accept Christ as Savior, we stop there because there's no sense in teaching about the new life if they don't have it. And then I have the privilege of baptizing them afterwards. That's what it's all about, seeing people saved, baptized, and organized in local Bible-believing Baptist churches. Now, 
just because the fishermen may be small, or correction, just because the fish may be small is no reason to throw it back. Now, do you see the fish there? Kind of a dinky thing there, isn't it? Well, that was my nephew several years back. He wanted to take that fish home, stuff it, mount it, and hang it on his wall. <laughs> well, wouldn't you if it's the first fish you ever caught in your life? But like I started to say, just because the fisherman is small is no size of the indication of the fisherman's heart. When this picture was taken, his dad was saved but out of church. His mom was still a Catholic, lost. And he was the meanest kid on the block. And that's no exaggeration. If there was a more devious way of doing something, he'd find it and do it that way. But he started going to church with his cousins, his aunt and uncle, and his grandparents, and he got saved. And God did a marvelous transformation in his life. His mother noticed the difference and said, there seemed to be something to it. So she took that four-lesson course with Athelis, and she was saved. Today, she is not only in church, but she's the mission secretary. He started working on his dad. His dad's back in church, and is the groundskeeper of the church. He started working on his little sister, who's seven. She is also saved. So like I said, just because the fisherman is small is no indication of size of the fisherman's heart. We also have a program, our ministry of restoration, because no one is ever too small or unimportant to, to throw away or to throw back. Now, this is Pastor Samuel. Pastor Samuel was a pastor of a church not too far from where he lived in the, in the little area of Kokaya. And he's 76 years young. I say young because, like I said this morning, I've yet to find anyone who's caught up with Methuselah. And he had some members of his church who wanted a younger pastor, one who could play soccer with him, one that was more hip, one that was more up-to-date on music. You know, ah, we always sing all these old hymns. Why can't we sing all these fancy new choruses and stuff? Well, they're not as worshipful as some of the old hymns. And they wanted to get rid of him. But they knew enough scriptures to know that they had no biblical justification to fire him. Until one day, four years ago, now five years ago, his wife passed away. They said, well, now we got him. Paul wrote to Timothy, pastor to be a husband of a wife. Since you no longer have a wife, you're fired. But what made things worse is another American missionary, which I have the regret of knowing personally, told him that, well, because you no longer have a wife, you're not even qualified anymore just to stand in the pulpit and preach. So in one fell swoop, he lost his wife, his church, and his ministry. It's no wonder he fell into a deep depression. One that medication would not work because it wasn't clinical. It was emotional and spiritual. He had even stopped reading his Bible because he lost his motivation. Because him and his wife would read through the Bible twice every year in their morning devotions. But he's got six preacher boys as a result of his ministry. One of them told him, you need to go visit Pastor Jerry because he spent 16 years there in Brazil as a single missionary. He'd know what loneliness is. So one Sunday a year ago this month, he showed up and he says, I'm looking for a, a member of your church. You used to be a member of my church in Kokaya. So I said, all right, I can take you to their house. No, no, we'll wait till next week. Next week, same thing. He kept putting it off, putting it off. Then after about two weeks, he, two months, he finally let me in on what the real reason was. So we started working with him. Well, our people started loving him. Just showing him the respect that he had earned and deserved through his many, many years of preaching the gospel. I'm thankful to say is not only he's back reading his Bible, but he's back on the pulpit preaching. 
and I'm jealous because my people are getting to hear him preach and I'm not. He's a fabulous preacher. And here was preaching at Jenina's graduation. They wanted him to preach because he's such a loving man. All right, this are just a few of the fish that we caught on our last fishing trip or trim on the field. And this, does, this is not uh, souls that we personally won or souls that our missionaries won, but people that we've had contact with and, and got them involved in, in our church. This is Junior and Jocelyn's wife. They recently had their first child. Now, they were living in, uh, in another city about 15 minutes away by bus, going to another church, and they didn't like the direction the church was going. And they'd moved to our, our neighborhood anyway because he works in a prison in our, in our area. And it was close for him to be only uh, a quarter of a mile from, from work. He could walk to, to, to the prison in five minutes. So they showed up on a Wednesday night. And I found out that uh, his pastor that, uh, of the church where he was saved is a pastor friend of mine. In fact, before we had our baptistry in Virginia, we'd go to their church, use their baptistry. And through the process of time, they joined our church. And he's uh, very involved in the work. Uh, he preaches, does a fine job. And they're helping take care of the work in our absence. This is Daniel and Janilda, their oldest son, uh, Daniel, and their, their twins, uh, Julia and Artur. And those twins are a pair, let me tell you. But Daniel came with Tainal's younger brother, Davi. And in two weeks, he got saved. He went home, and his parents noticed a change because he's getting up on Sunday morning on his own without asking them to get him up so he'd go to church, take a shower and get dressed, have breakfast, and he'd skip off to church, get there in time for the prayer meeting before Sunday school. So I decided to go visit him, naturally, and, and uh, they said, you know, preacher, we've been praying for a pastor of a small church to come by and visit us to a church where we could get involved with well, they're very much involved now. We'd been needing an electrician because we were going to do some remodeling at the church, and he's a certified electrician. This is Don Dalmira, 93 years young. She was attending the same church uh, at the other town as Junior and Jocione, but for some reason she wound up moving to Arbonne, just three blocks away from Junior and Jocione. And they found her there uh, one day this last uh, January. So they brought her to church. We only got to know her for three weeks before we came home, but what a blessing. And she shared a blessing with me. She said, preacher, finally, a church that preaches and teaches and sings like the church I was in when I was a little girl. I feel at home. We're hoping that we can be there, that she'll still be there when we get back home on furlough before the Lord calls her home. But she is a blessing. Now, there's an old... You know, there, there's a, a reality show on TV today that's called World's Most Dangerous Catch. They go up in the Baltic Sea and they're fishing for crab. They show all the dangers involved. And sometimes when you go fishing out in the ocean, you can find yourself fishing in shark-infested waters. We went fishing off the south coast one day. And the missionaries, one of the missionaries' kids caught a shark that was about that big. He didn't throw it back. He took it home and ate it. He figured turnabout's fair play. And shark is pretty good eating. But... When we think about spiritual fishing, going soul winning, we find ourselves many times in lion-infested fields, which the Bible describes as being white in the harvest. Lion-infested because First Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 
There's an old adage that if you give a man a fish, you fed him for a meal, but if you teach a man to fish, you fed him for a lifetime. And when we go fishing for men or soul winning, not only does that catch men and souls being saved, but it feeds the fisherman's soul with joy and with wisdom. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Psalms 35.9 says, And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord, it shall rejoice in his salvation. And truly, Jonah was not uh, far off when he said in the belly of the whale, Salvation is of the Lord, because that is such a fundamental truth. Salvation is of the Lord. So here are our fishing teams. Uh, instructors, myself, Junior, uh, Pastor Samuel, Jarvis and his family, Daniel's family, uh, Haina and her mother, Josepha. Now, every church needs a Josepha. She's illiterate. That's not what I mean But they need them. But she is an unorthodox prayer warrior. One of our missionaries, he works on the Upper Hill Negro River. Now, you start at the mouth of the Amazon River, and you go one day, and you, got, you get to Belém. Then another four days, you get to Manaus. Then you go up river another three days, you get to San Gabriel das Cachoeiras, where Pastor Raul is. Then he gets in his boat and goes four days up river from there, uh, going over, having four portage points get around the rapids to get to an Indian village where he'll stay for three to four months to do a seminary for Indians, some who walk three days through the jungle to get there so they learn, can learn the Word of God, get back to their tribes and teach the Word of God. Unfortunately, there is a guerrilla group in Colombia called FARC. They stole his boat. So while he was down in Sao Paulo giving a report to four churches, he only had four churches in Sao Paulo, he was going to be there two Sundays. He was with us on a Sunday morning and uh, gave a report, told him about the boat being stolen, showed his slides, what he was doing. Well, that night in, the, in our late ladies' meeting at 5, she started praying, and she turned the heads of every lady that was there. They were just so shocked at what she prayed. She said, Lord, you know I ain't got no money. You know our church ain't got no money. But you know who, do, who does have money, so take it from them and give it to Pastor Raul so we can get another boat. Now, someone say, does God honor a prayer like that? Well, let's put it this way. He needed 10,000 reais for the boat. That's uh, about $4,444. He needed $1,000, or 1,000 reais, <coughs> excuse me, to have it shipped up from Manaus to San Gabriel de las Cachoeiras. On Monday night, seminary was still in session, so I took him to the chapel meeting, introduced him to Pastor Josue, the, the owner uh, of the, well, the, past the church where the school is located. He invited Pastor Old to come back on Friday at the preacher's prayer breakfast and show us lines. In that meeting, Pastor Jules, we decided, well, we need to take up a love offering. In that love offering, we raised 11,000 hay ice. He also got meetings from other pastors where he was there for the next five months with only two services not booked. <coughs> this is a boat he bought. The name of the boat is Deus Fiel, and truly, that means God is faithful, and how true that is. He's upriver right now doing a seminary. Some of our other uh, fishing, fishing teams, uh, Vera, Taina, Lenache, Leo. So when is your next fishing trip going to be? When are you going to go out fishing for men? But, you know, when you think about, what about the rest of fishing crew? 
because it's more than just the one throwing out the gnats or the line. There are those who repair the gnats, bait the hooks, maintain the boat, make sure it's stocked for, for the fishing trip. Who are they? Well, how about you? How about becoming a part of our fishing crew? How about us together cast our nets out together so that we can catch more men and women, boys and girls, for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ while we still have an opportunity. If you would, please, please open your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17. Jeremiah 17, and we have a custom in Brazil that many churches here in the United States still practice, and I'm so thankful for that. When you find your place, please stand out of respect to the Word of God. Jeremiah chapter 17, if you've already found your place, say amen. If you haven't, say have mercy. Jeremiah 17, verse 10, which says, I, the Lord, search the heart, I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Let's pray. Father, we come to thee now, thankful for this day, thankful for the opportunity of being in your house. Father, we ask for liberty of the Holy Spirit to touch hearts tonight, to work in the hearts. Father, I ask for power of the Holy Spirit to preach, for I have no power in myself. But Father, I also ask that you hide me behind the cross of Christ, that I be not seen. It's Jesus we want to honor tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. You know, a lot of people say that the eyes are the wind of the soul. If that be the case, then what is the heart? For some, the heart is the very window to the very essence of a person. And why might that be? Well... The heart is considered, at least in our culture, to be the center of emotions. In other cultures, it's the kidneys. other cultures, it's the liver. In the Old Testament, it was the bowels. And, but concentrating the heart, you know, why would we say is it, it's the center of our emotions? Well, for example, we, we give our heart to someone. We love someone with all our heart. Our heart can be broken or hurt by someone. Songs have been written about the heart. Let's, let's take some of those songs and change, you know, the center of emotions. Like, we might have songs like, I left my kidneys in San Francisco. Or how about, you make my liver quiver. I don't want to even try one with the vowels of mercies. But, you know, uh, we find that a small child can steal the heart of an adult. Now, how many of you got grandkids that have you wrapped around your, their little finger? You know, I thought so. They, they steal your heart. And we might even say that uh, a person has a good heart, or we ask, what does your heart tell you? Now, it's interesting to note that the word heart is found over 821 times in the Bible. Now, if God mentions something in the Word of God, it's important. We need to pay attention. If he repeats it, we better pay attention. But consider this, 821 times the heart is mentioned, so it, it's got to be of importance to the Lord. You know, we have science that missions is the heart of God. And truly it is. Because he wants to see the world saved. And if we pause for a minute and just and think about something, if it were possible to someone to, to actually stop and look into their own heart, what would they see? Now, if someone else was to look into your heart, 
what would they see, or much more important, what should they see, especially those of us who name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Now, I'm reminded of a story about a little boy, about five years old. He was going into the hospital for heart surgery. Tomorrow morning, the, the surgeon began, I'll open your heart. You'll find Jesus there, the boy interrupted. The surgeon looked up annoyed. I'll cut your heart open, he continued, to see how much damage has been done. Oh, but when you open my heart, you'll find Jesus in there, said the boy. The surgeon looked at the parents and said quietly, When I see how much damage has been done, I'll sew your heart and chest back up and I'll plan what to do next. But you'll find Jesus in my heart. The Bible says he lives there. The hymns all say he lives there. You'll find him in my heart. Well, the surgeon had had enough. I'll tell you what I'll find in your heart. I'll find damaged muscles, low blood supply, and weakened vessels, and I'll find out if I can make you well. You'll find Jesus there too. He lives there. Well, that's all the surgeon could take, so he got up and left. Well, the next day there was the surgeon that afternoon. The surgeon sat in his office recording his notes from the surgery. Damaged aorta, damaged pulmonary vein, widespread muscle degeneration, no hope for transplant, no hope for cure, therapy, painkillers, and bed rest. Prognosis. And here he paused for a while. Death within one year. He stopped the recorder, but there was a lot more to be said. Why? he asked aloud. Why'd you do this? You put him here. You, did. you put him in this pain. You've cursed him to an early death. Why? Well, the Lord answered and said, A boy, my lamb, was not meant for your flock for a long time, for he's part of my flock and will forever be. Here in my flock, he will feel no pain and will be comforted as you can never imagine. His parents will one day join him here and they will know peace and my flock will continue to grow. Well, the surgeon's tears were hot, but his anger was even hotter. You created that boy and you created that heart. He'll be dead in months. Why? The Lord answered again, the boy, my lamb, shall return to my flock, for he has done his duty. I did not put my lamb with your flock to lose him, but to retrieve another lost lamb. And with this, the surgeon wept. The surgeon sat beside the boy's bed. The boy's parents sat across from him, and the boy awoke and whispered, Did you cut open my heart? Yes, said the surgeon. What'd you find? The boy asked. I found Jesus there, said the surgeon. So let me ask again, but maybe in a just a little different manner. When someone, when anyone takes a look into the heart of any one of us here, what is it that they'll find? The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5, If there be, any, be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you which also 
which was also in Christ Jesus. So maybe a quick look at the heart in general, just what the heart is capable of doing can cause us to know our own heart just a little bit better and help us to really realize what we really are or lack in regards to what God desires for us to be. Now, first off, the heart is a good indicator of what we are, an indicator of what we think. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. It, it's an indication of whether it's for good or for evil. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. You know, Matthew really gives us a good laundry list of what we are when you think about it. It's an indication of what's important to us because Matthew also says, verse 621, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Of whether the word of God is important to us or not. When we consider the two men on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Luke 24, and they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, while he opened to us the scriptures? We like to quote Psalms 119, verse 11 in Brazil. Escondi a tua palavra no meu coração para eu não pecar contra ti. Thy word have I hid my heart that I might not sin against thee. And you see, the heart reveals our true nature. If we go back to Jeremiah 17, but verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, the heart is also the center of our emotions, our very being. Because both joy and thankfulness have their origin and place in the heart. Consider Ephesians 5.19. Speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. But it also contains our intentions. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. as a good indication whether we're going to be obedient to the Lord or not. The heart is also a place of habitation of Christ in his believers. You know, we ask Lord Jesus Christ when we are saved, believing in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead. But still another important question for us to consider is, Jesus the owner of our heart or just a house guest? Now, why did I put it that way? How many of y'all own your own house? How many of y'all rent from someone or have rented in the past? You know, when you rent, you're just a house guest that the owner tolerates. Now, when you rent, you've got to get permission to put a nail in the wall to hang a picture. But when you own your own house, you can kick your foot through the wall, and the only one you have to answer to is to, is your wife or the doctor who's going to fix your foot for breaking it. Now, when you think about it, in 1 Corinthians 6.20, it says, For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. As such, we've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are not our own any longer so let me ask one more time. Is Jesus the owner and master of your heart or just an occupant whose presence is tolerated? Now, there are things that we are encouraged to do with the heart. Love the Lord with all our heart. Deuteronomy 6, 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Let me ask him. How many of y'all like potato chips? Y'all like potato chips? You know, we all, we, op- we, we open up that top, we bring out the 
the big ones. Sometimes we'll use a little bit of dip, but you know, if you're a naturalist, you just keep going. Then you get down to the small ones. Then there's those crumbs. You can't hardly get to it. Now, how many of y'all do this? Y'all do that? But if you're a real connoisseur for potato chips, you don't stop there. You look for the seam, and then you just rip it open and do this. That's the ones who really love it. Any of you do that? I've had a few that do that. That's someone who really loves potato chips. Why don't we love the Lord like that? Think about it. They go to the extreme because they love potato chips so much. Why don't we go to the extreme in loving the Lord our God? We fall short in some cases in loving the Lord our God who loved us so much and gave his own son to save us. It says, flee youthful loves, call upon the Lord of a pure heart. You know, someone says, well, that was written to the young people. Well, like I said, you ain't cut up with Methuselah yet, so it applies to all of us. Flee youthful loves and follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call out of the, on the Lord out of a pure heart. Trust the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understandings, Proverbs 3, 5. We're to be obedient. Ephesians 6, 6, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Every time there's a new president-elect, they always say that I'm going to have a transparent uh, administration. It usually isn't. How transparent are we before God? We need to be an open book before the Lord. Psalms 139, 23, 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We're also instructed to rejoice in our salvation. Sometimes we don't always do that. But I have trusted thy mercies. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. Therefore, as born-again believers, what are the qualities that our heart should have and demonstrate? We need a heart full of compassion. Brazil has an expression, que os olhos não veem, o coração não sente. What the eyes do not see, the heart does not feel. Sometimes we'll have these ministries, we'll have commercials, you know, feed the children, we'll see these kids, you know, and the, the squalor and the poverty and everything, and our, our, our heart is touched. Sometimes people switch the channel because they don't like the way it affects their heart. In Mark 6.34, Jesus saw a great multitude and had compassion because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And when we see the multitudes all around us here in the United States, especially here in Caldwell, what do we feel? What do these feelings provoke us to do? How do we see these people? Do we see them as a lost soul or just as another statistic? You see, when Jesus saw the people, he had compassion for them. He reacted and did something. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. Jesus never refused to do something. But there's those who say, well, what about that Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15 that had the demon-possessed daughter? She came to Jesus asking for Jesus to cast out the demon. And Jesus was really hateful towards her. You know, in today's vernacular, I'd say, well, he would... Here in the United States, he'd be guilty of hate speech. Really. 
Because when she asked, look what he said. He says, it's not me to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Some say, well, that's hateful. But Jesus was not being hateful. He was testing her heart. See what her determination was. If she really desired the healing. And, and she replied, truth, Lord. Recognizing who and what she was. Because she was a Gentile, not a Jew. She says, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Because of that great faith and understanding of who and what she was and her relationship to God in regards to Judaism, her daughter was healed. The demon was cast out. To have true compassion means to see the need and then react. We also need a broken heart because a broken heart is necessary if you want to be close to God. Psalms 34, 18 says, The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart and save the such as be of a contrite spirit. Now the Apostle John in chapter 3, and usually we think about John 3, 16. But what about 3, 18? He that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. I've had people say, don't go to those people in the jungle because if you take the word of God to them, then God is going to hold them accountable and they'll have to give an account to God for hearing the gospel and reject him. No, nature declares God in itself. They're already condemned. They need a pathway to forgiveness, to a pardon. And until we see people in the world as condemned already and not awaiting to go before the judge to be condemned. But the second part of the trial, going before the judge to have the sentence executed, we're not going to do anything. Until we see people actually plunging into hell's fire. Yelling back faces of people that we might recognize personally. And them yelling back, why didn't you tell me? You knew and you didn't tell me. Until we see that, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to realize our responsibility. We need a willing heart. When you see something that needs to be done, to just do it without waiting to be asked, without asking the cost or without asking how you'll be compensated. And then we need a sacrificial heart. Putting others first. What are we willing to sacrifice for our Lord? Our time? Money? Possessions? Comfort? How about our convenience? In truth, what occupies the most important place in our lives? You see, we need to remember that it's not about us but all about Jesus Christ and winning souls for him. So in closing, maybe our prayer should be this, which we find in Psalms 51, verses 10 through 13. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if the musicians would come at this time, we'll have just a, a verse 
or two of invitation. But while we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'd like for each and every one of us to maybe have or do a little heart surgery of our own. If each and every one of us would look at our own particular heart and look down deep, look very, very deep, deeper than what you may have looked before in your own heart and life. And if the first thing that you see is not Jesus Christ, then you need to admit your need and come and ask Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior tonight. But if he is there, then we need to look a little bit further and look and see if there's things that should not be there. Maybe we resentment about, against someone who said something that we didn't like to us, someone who offended us a grudge that we might be holding. Well, I'm never going to forgive them because they did this to me. Well, what'd you do to them? Maybe there's things that should not be there. A hardness in the heart. Maybe there's one here tonight that would say, Preacher, I'm seeing some things in my heart that really shouldn't be there that really do not honor God. With an uplifted hand, we say, Preacher, will you pray with me that God will take those things out of my heart? so I can be a better vessel for him as one tonight with an uplifted hand say, Preacher, pray with me that God will take these things out of my heart that shouldn't be there. Maybe as we look even further, there's, we notice there's some things that are missing. A desire to see lost people saved, a compassion for souls that are lost and on a collision course with hell. Maybe it's lacking obedience in doing what we know we should be doing for our Lord. Maybe there's one here tonight with an uplift hand. Preacher, will you pray with me? That God will not only take the things out that shouldn't be there, but it will place within my heart what needs to be there to make me more like Christ. As we stand and as we have a verse of invitation, if God has spoken to your heart, then there's an altar here waiting for you to come and have a heart-to-heart talk with Jesus Christ and meet that need in your heart tonight. Message to our hearts. Let's have an invitation for the name's People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. When we that we must give our lives for people.